All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine spending one of your last days working in government holed up in an undisclosed, secure bunker in the Washington, D.C. area as the designated survivor during the State of the Union address. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking, presented by Betway. If you're going to place a bet, bet on Betway. Ontario only, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Yep, that happened. Marty Walsh was 11th in line of succession to the President of the United States as the sitting Secretary of Labor, and he was one catastrophe away from leading the free world. Mr. Speaker, Madam Vice President, our First Lady and Second Gentlemen, good to see you guys up there. Members of Congress. News broke earlier that day, actually on Daily Faceoff, that Walsh would be leaving Joe Biden's cabinet to become one of the most powerful figures in the hockey world as the eighth executive director of the NHL Players Association. Just hours away from the State of the Union, uh, sources are telling us there may be a shakeup in the cabinet. Marty Walsh might be leaving. Give us the details. It caught the political world by surprise. Confirm this, Chris, according to a source familiar with this decision that the Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, somebody who has been a part of the cabinet from the very beginning, is going to be departing the administration to lead the NHLPA. That's the National Hockey League Players Association. This is something that was first reported elsewhere uh, in the hockey world that Mike Memley has. Walsh is many things. He's a hockey fan, a recovered alcoholic a childhood cancer survivor, and a proud Bostonian. News in the Boston mayor's race, a victorious Marty Walsh re-elected to a second term. He's also a seasoned politician who has risen to prominence 
as a champion of working class values and inclusive economic growth. With a track record marked by empathy, integrity, and a relentless commitment to improving the lives of everyday people, Walsh has become a respected figure in both local and national politics. From his roots as a labor union leader to his tenure as the two-term mayor of Boston, his leadership style has consistently prioritized the needs and aspirations of the diverse communities he served. As the Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh brought a wealth of experience and a genuine passion for empowering workers, promoting fair wages, and ensuring workplace safety while successfully navigating large-scale strikes. With politics behind him, Walsh has stepped into an entirely different arena and one that might also be pretty imposing, collective bargaining across from Gary Bettman. He is tasked with not just hammering out a new CBA in 2026 for the players, but also galvanizing a union whose membership has earned a reputation for being disinterested and disengaged. Let me just tell you um, uh, very quickly where the process sits. Gary made a comment yesterday, there's still a lot of work to do. I think given today's session, there's still a lot of work to do. In this interview, you'll hear Walsh talk about his friendship with Joe Biden, getting his feet wet in the hockey world, his fall tour meeting players, growing the game internationally, and how players might get a piece of skyrocketing franchise values and even Rolexes. You also get a taste of his unreal Boston accent. Here's my conversation with NHLPA Executive Director Marty Walsh a couple weeks back during the Global Series at the Grand Hotel in Stockholm, Sweden. Marty Walsh, the Global Series underway here in Stockholm, Sweden. I know you were here a few months back for the European Player Media Tour, but yeah. what's the Global Series been like for you? It's been fun. You know, a lot of meetings. We're at the Grand Hotel and a lot of people coming in. You get a chance to talk to players and get a chance to talk to GMs and owners. And I actually just bumped in the hallway to a couple of Boston people. They were talking. They're everywhere. It's so funny. They come to every year they go to a Global Series game and uh, and they happen to be from Charlestown, Massachusetts. They knew right away. They said, Mr. Mayor, they laughed and uh, <laughs> we're talking about the game. And I said, what are you doing here? They go, our team's the Bruins, but we're here cheering. I think they said Toronto. I figured it was. I just got shocked that somebody, they had a Bruins jersey on. I'm laughing here, but it, no, it's been great. I got to ask, whose idea was it for the player of the game and the award? I don't know if you saw the video, but players get super excited when there's a Rolex on the line. It was uh, kind of our idea, the PA's idea. And we went in with it with the league, which is so it's a joint gift. What happened was um, I'm new to this role, and I had talked to some players before that had gone away and played in different countries, and they weren't really recognized for their for their efforts. So this is a way for us to recognize one player, player of the game. It's a regular season game, so party is schedule. But I just think it's, it adds a little extra specialness, uh, you know, because I think when people – play in a different country and they get recognized for what they do i think they like it and certainly the player last night liked it and the, the next three players are gonna like it too. they're definitely gonna like it. i can tell you what everyone's head snapped to attention saying wait there's something a little extra on the line better be good for game two i was just talking to the sends guys say they're ready trying to be different i mean we're trying to add a little bit to it in my time here me and ron hainsey were thinking different ideas about how to recognize players and how to kind of promote players and, and make sure players understand we appreciate them. Even though it's a regular season game, it's still a long way to come for a regular season game. And it's, uh, you know, having four games here, each team playing two, you know, I guess they could go to the West Coast, some of them, mm -hmm. but it's still a long way to go. Big time change, get adapted to it, 
you know, it's not really a vacation for them. They have a few days, I think, to to enjoy the city. But for the most part, they're practicing, they're training, they're getting ready, they're playing. Uh, and then, they, you know, when the weekend's over, they're going to be heading back home uh, and doing a full schedule again. It's a very nice touch, no doubt. Oh, thank you. So you've had just about nine months? Almost nine, eight and a half, nine months almost, yeah. Coming up another week. And how do you feel? I like it. You know, it's good. It's different. When I got interviewed for the job, I felt like it was something that I could be good at. Growing up in Boston, hockey fan, you know, never played any type of level in the NHL. But growing up and watching the Bruins and, and, and watching hockey generally, like, I mean, prior to this job, I'd still, you know, I'd get the all the games on, whether it's the NHL Network or ESPN Plus, and I'd be following all the teams and, and all that stuff, and, and there's nothing like it. And then when this opportunity presented itself to me, uh, I did the interview process, and as we're talking, as the players were interviewing me, talking about, I was explaining my labor background, but I think they were looking more than just a labor background person. I talked about my time as mayor and business development and attracting big companies to Boston and relationships, and then my time as labor secretary, and I think they liked that. So I've spent the last you know nine months uh, learning a lot of the contracts and the nuances and you know we just went through arbitration so I was kind of watching that from the sidelines about how that operates you know we've seen some you know some players have been suspended we've appealed some of those I've watched how the appeal goes of learning the intricacies of, of the labor hockey movement if you will we had a, an event last night where 50 people from businesses here in, in Europe and from America that came over and Ambassador Sweden from the United States was here, Ambassador Canada, Ambassador Denmark, and really promoting the PA. You know, Commissioner Bettman came and Gary said that, you know, he's never seen a PA event like this. So we're trying to do some things differently. We're also in the midst of fall tour. Uh, and what fall tour is for people that don't understand it, it's every fall the PA meets with the teams, the players, just the players, and talks about what we're doing and, and what the kind of laying down a foundation. So it's my first time doing fall tour. So I'm really introducing myself for the first time to a lot of these guys that they know my name from obviously being announced, but they don't know me. So I've spent a lot of time talking to them about different issues, but also figuring out what direction they want to go. So take me a step back. You get approached at some point by the firm that's running the search. Yeah. And I believe your initial answer was that you weren't interested. No, 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 not at all. Um, so I got approached in December by the firm asking me if I'd be interested in having a conversation uh, with the NHLPA. Um, they obviously knew my position at the time, and I told them I'd, I'd be willing to have a conversation. So that's when it started, and, and I had several conversations with players, meetings with players, Zoom and, and in person. Uh, and as it went forward, it was getting gaining more momentum really quickly. Uh, it was fast, actually. And I think this process had been going on for a year. Uh, so there was a lot of different candidates that were interviewed. And you kind of entered late. I entered late. They approached me kind of like, yeah. And, um, you know, and I was in an interesting spot because I worked for President Biden. And, you know, I was in that place that, I, you know, I hadn't had a conversation with the White House. So then I had to have a conversation with the White House because I was interviewing. So it, it kind of just took on a very quick with a quick timeline. How did the White House take it? You know, uh, president's a, a good friend. And, you know, I don't think he was overly excited about it. Or the vice president wasn't overly excited about it. Because, obviously, I'm a labor secretary. And, you know, I've known President Biden for 25 years. I've known Vice President Harris before. Uh, before she was vice president, I met her when she was a senator. So I don't think they were overly excited about it. But but the president was very supportive. He said to me, you know, I support you. This is this is this is unbelievable. It's an opportunity that you really can't turn down. He understood where I was coming from. 
So the news breaks on the day of the State of the Union. Yeah, God, it was awful. That you're going to be the next executive director, and you hadn't had a chance to have a conversation. No, I, I he, at that point he knew. Oh, okay. It was right before that, but it, it just, it, I just, I felt terrible that it broke that day because it's that's not my day. That's the president's day. Mm. I just felt awful. I felt terrible. I felt bad. Granted, I didn't overshadow the president's speech by any stretch of the imagination, but. I still don't want to be any story on that day. That's the president's day to address the nation. I apologize because that was my story. This is God's honest truth. I didn't know it was State of the Union Day. Okay. And I should have been I should have <laughs> I should have paid attention to the news cycle because I'm in my own little hockey bubble. Yeah. I, I I hear and confirm from sources Marty Walsh is coming in. I go, this is big news. Like yeah. I got to get it out. Yeah, I, I just felt bad that day for him, you know, because if it broke the next day, it's different. Uh, but it's, it, I mean, it, it happens. I mean, I didn't bother the president that day uh, because obviously stay the union day. And but the next day, I apologize. I said, "Listen, Mr. President, that was not that was not my intention." So I'm glad you just told the whole world that you broke it, and I didn't <laughs> tell you to break it. So I, I, I guess didn't. Yeah, and I didn't. I this is the. F- yeah. In Stockholm is the first time I ever met you. Did you, you were designated survivor. Is that politics version of the penalty box? No, I, I had gotten uh, asked before that to be the person that was going to sit out on the speech. You were what, sixth or seventh in line of succession? 11th. 11th, okay. Yeah. A lot of things got to happen to get to 11. I mean, it was a, it was a bizarre time. I mean, okay, so I, I'm my only way out. I'm the designated survivor. I'm, you know, just a, a lot happened, but it was incredible. What'd they do with you that night? Uh, I can't really tell. We went to an undisclosed location, and yeah, we we ate and had to watch the State of the Union, and then because um, I watched that series, Designated Survivor, yeah. I was always curious what actually happened. Yeah, well, basically they take you somewhere, and basically watching the speech, and you get an all clear. Uh, they get a, you get a phone call as the VP leaves, President leaves, and then once the President's back in the residence, you get an all clear, and then you come back. You go back to DC. It was interesting. It was very interesting. So you've said that. Electoral politics is in your blood, and rightfully so, with your resume. Do you miss it at all? I do. I mean, of course I do. I mean, I missed it when I became the Labor Secretary. I mean, you know, I wasn't electoral politics anymore. I was appointed. But you're still close enough. You're at arm's length, essentially. I was on the ballot 10 times in 25 years, a state representative eight times in the ballot, mayor twice. And, you know, I was in the process of running for a third term of mayor when the president called me and asked me to be the labor secretary. But, you know, it's it's something that I enjoy. I, I kind of was a kid. I wanted to be in politics when I got elected to the House of Representatives in Massachusetts. I want to be mayor. And from very early on, I, I said I wanted to be mayor of Boston. And I was fortunate to be able to achieve that with a lot of help from a lot of people. It's one of those things that there's a, a phases in your life that, that you live through. And the phase of politics to me was, was very enjoyable. I mean, there were difficult days as mayor. Not so many as a, as a state rep, but there was very difficult days as mayor. You, you go through a lot. I mean, you, you've homicides in your city, young people die in your city, you have fires. I lost two firefighters in my time as, as mayor in, in a tragic fire. I, a police officer died during COVID. And you had tragedies and you had victories too. You had Patriots parades, you had Red Sox parades, Bruins lost in game seven. That wasn't a parade, you know? So there's a lot of other great things you can do helping people. My balance is I still help people. So that drives me in politics. I wasn't in politics for praise of who I am. I was in politics to help people. So I can still do that even today in certain ways I can help people. So you mentioned as a kid, you know, maybe always wanting to be in that you become mayor of Boston was executive director of the NHLPA ever on 
Was it ever even a twinkle in your mind? Was it? I didn't even think it was an op- opportunity. You know what I mean? It, it was like I always thought maybe after I was done with politics, after the, the labor secretary, probably maybe go back into the labor movement, do something there. I wasn't really sure what I was going to do next. I'm not really sure what role that would be in the labor movement. But when this opportunity presented itself, you think about it's a labor union. You represent people. I knew what the basic understanding of what the PA would do for the members. Obviously, you know, growing up watching sports and living through, you know, the lockouts in hockey and the baseball strikes and things like that and football and all the other stuff. You know the union has a big role in supporting members and working on the behalf of the members. But it wasn't something I aspired to. I never, ever thought back one day and said, man, I'd like that job someday. I just didn't think it was possible. And, you know, when you think about it now, when I first got the job, some people said, well, that's not a natural fit. But when you think about it, you know, I am a labor, I was a former labor leader, former mayor. So you had the business backgrounds through the city and through the labor secretary, obviously the labor background. So it does make sense. But at the time, it was nothing I ever thought of. I always, I, I told some of the players this. I, I always wanted a PA swag. I wanted a hat because it's union. And I, I would ask some of the players from Boston that I knew. I never got it. So I guess I had to get the job to get the swag. You can have a whole closet full now. I do have a whole closet full now. Yeah. So before we dive into the nitty gritty, one last on the politics, because I think it's a very insular hockey world. I'm sure you're already well aware. Yeah. Outsiders look and say, oh, he's got a massive campaign war chest still sitting there. Yeah. I'm giving that away. So when I left being mayor of Boston, I I was in the process of running for mayor again and had been raising money because I didn't expect that. I was going to get a call from the president of the United States of America to ask me to be in his cabinet. I just didn't expect that ever. So when, when President Biden called me and asked me, I, mean, I literally was ramping up a campaign for re-election. I had consultants on board. I was starting to build a staff. I was, you know, we had an office already that was, we, we always kept our, our campaign office throughout the whole time. And I had an operation going. And um, when the president called, you know, obviously that all got put on hold. Uh, I kept the office open through my time as labor secretary because he still had to file reports. I wasn't raising money. I was donating a little bit to organizations that I had, but I, I had a campaign office and, and, and a little bit of a team there. When I got this job, uh, I shut the office down. And basically what I'm doing now is I'm donating uh, money. As you, people can pull a report up, a Mass OCPF, Massachusetts OCPF report, and I'm giving it away basically to charity, supporting organizations that I historically have supported, youth organizations and things like that. So that money is coming down, drawing down slowly. So you're not going to save it eventually for another? No, I mean, listen, I, I'm not sure what the future holds. You know, I, right now I'm not focused. I, I'm spending the money down. Like I am not, and I, I'm not spending it down politically. Like I'm not like watching where I'm going. If you look where I spend the money, I'm spending it in the, the, the grassroots I've done before, recovery organizations, kids, senior organizations, just organizations I've supported in the past. I'm giving the money to. That's what we're going to do. And probably spend, we'll spend it down to zero at some point and then we'll close out the account altogether. There's still a good amount of money in there. Never know. Because I think that's been the speculation has sort of been like, well, this is the NHLPA is maybe just a stopover. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if it's a stopover. I'm the more I get into this, the more I I get into it. We've created a lot of challenges for us in a positive way to move forward. So, you know, we're working obviously on collective bargaining. Eventually we'll have the contract negotiation, working on strengthening the union um, and then really talking about business development. I mean, when I mentioned last night, we had an event here in Stockholm for 
the PA and businesses and sponsorships. PA hasn't done that before. Never done it before. And, and we're going to do more of that. And we're going to be more more aggressive on the business side of it. And, you know, and I think that's a positive. So I, I, I don't like starting something and not finishing it. I like that. So your fall tour, you're almost halfway through the league. Yeah, I'm about 13 teams today as we speak here today. By next week, we'll be more than halfway through. Uh, and then for the next three and a half weeks, we're going to be doing, I think, 14, 15 teams. So by Christmas, we should have close to well, 30 of the 32 teams done. So fall tour will not be stretching deep into winter. Historically, I guess in the past, it's gone into February. That's not uh, our intention is to get it done early. Then we'll go back out and meet players again uh, in smaller groups. But uh, my intention is to get fall tour done because the issues we're talking about today are relevant for now. And and, and if you wait, if it's January, February, March, there's always other issues that come up that we kind of talk to the players about. So that's a great segue between the search committee and what they were telling you that their priorities were nine, ten months ago. What are you hearing from players now? What are their priorities? Well, we're not, they're not really getting to priorities. I think what I'm doing is just, you know, I'm introducing myself. As I said, I, I've talked to a lot of players. I haven't met them all. So as I'm introducing myself of who I am, what I'm all about, and then we go through the issues that we are talking to the players about, a lot of questions. They're not really explaining priorities. You know, I've, I've told them all that, you know, as we get into – the end of the season, moving into next, we will start talking about collective bargaining and what we what they want to see, what the priorities are. Uh, but right now, it's me kind of laying out a foundation or a platform on what I think we need to do in the next six months, eight months. Uh, and, and they're pretty open to it. I mean, unless they're pretty, they're open to it. When we talk about business development, things like that, they're excited about it. You know, we're talking about other issues, hockey-related revenue, and we're talking about escrow. We're talking about salary cap. We're talking about different issues like that. You know, we're getting into different, you know, any potential controversial issues. We're talking about some of those as well, uh, bringing up, talking about the pension benefits, things like that. Situations that I've encountered since I've been here, you know, dealing with Arizona and playing where they are and what happened in Columbus, talking to the players and, and some of the other things that were Vancouver, some of the other things that we've worked early on in, in my time here. And just explaining what the process was and how I'm moving forward. I'm telling, explaining to them, I'm spending some time talking with owners, obviously talking to different owners. I haven't met a lot of owners yet, but uh, I'm more focused on the teams right now. But And then my relationship with, with, with the commissioner, Gary Bettman, it's been, it's been good. We've had a lot of good conversations. Um, you know, we've talked about different things. There's a lot of common ground. Have you gotten past the sort of get-to-know-you stage? We're getting past that now. I knew Gary before I took the job. I met him several times, but when I was the mayor of Boston, I met him, the city of Boston and the NHL dedicated a rink in Boston uh, Bruins rink and so we've done some some of that stuff some of that work together and I've seen, I've met him over the years I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So with any regime change comes some staffing change. There was a high-profile exit, Matthew Schneider out. Uh, He was a big part of the NHLPA for more than a decade. What happened there? Matthew did a good job. I mean, there's going to be changes when new leadership comes in. It was just basically we made some did some changes there. I mean, I think that that's going to happen in any organization. It happened when I was the mayor. It happened when I was labor secretary. You just have those changes. And Ron Hainsey has a bigger role now as well. He's the uh, assistant executive director, a position that never really existed before, quite no. like it does. But what? how has Ron helped you in your transition, and how big a part of this is Ron? A big part, real big part. So Ron was part of the PA prior to me coming here, um, and he basically took the lead in the search with the players. And as the process went on, and as closer to the end and when I got selected by the players and voted in by the executive board, we t- I talked to Ronnie about staying on. And he was obviously going to stay on anyway at some role capacity. But he just has connection to the players. I have connection to the business community and, and my labor backgrounds. He has been through lockouts. I have not been through lockouts, but I've been through strikes. So it's, it's a good team that we have here together working on things. You know, when we talk to a team, fall tour, I mean, there's obviously my my – my connection is usually the Boston connection. They, somebody knows me through somebody. Oh, they went to school at BC, BU, Harvard, MIT, whatever. Not MIT uh, or Northeastern. Not a lot of MIT. N- not, not a lot of MIT. Loves <laughs> league. Ronnie played with these, these players. And, and I think it's really important to have that trust. And, and we work very closely together. I mean, there's nothing that we don't do without talking to each other. And I just find that very helpful moving forward. And that's pretty much my style. I mean, when I'm the mayor, you're the mayor. There's no second mayor. But I worked very closely with my chief of staffs or people in my office. Like, I would always bounce things off of people. Now, I'm not this type of, I'm always right. I like to have that other the balance. And me and Ronnie balance so rough well. So another staffing question, Mike Gillis has been a consultant. He was a reported finalist for the position. Yeah. Is he going to continue on with the PA? No, Mike's no longer. When his contract's over, it's over. You know, he, he was brought on to look at some business stuff. And that contract's going to expire in the next few weeks. So, uh that, that'll be it for that. You mentioned business, and one of the things that Mike Gillis was involved in is group licensing. Yep. Is that a focal point as you try and grow this business? Oh, yeah. We have a team of people inside the PA that does group licensing now and, and sponsorship and all that. And, and we're going we're gonna to build up a business section. We're going to support the people that are there and really think about how we move forward. I've already talked to them a lot. Uh, the, some of the business folks are here with us in Stockholm. Uh, so we're really thinking about how do we change this. I mean, that's fertile ground, right? It's, very, it's for hockey, it's usually fertile. There's a lot of opportunity here. I think that, you know, every leader has a different perspective of how to move forward. I think we can obviously keep a priority of collective bargaining on the top, sponsorship licensing on the top, 
Everything we can do can be the most important issue we do on the PA. We shouldn't prioritize what's the most important, what's not the most important. They're all really important. Obviously, as we get closer to 26, the collective bargaining and, and the agreement and the contract will take center stage. Sort of, you become a wartime general. Yeah, so to speak. yeah and, and that, that'll happen. But, but leading up to that, there's a lot we can do before that. In terms of other business, your predecessor was always harping international hockey. We need more of it. There's no question about international hockey. We can do more of it, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that in a second. But I think there's some opportunities in North America, too. Like what? Growing the game of hockey in, in, in North America. I think there's opportunities in communities of color. I think there's opportunities in mid-America. You might not have a team there, uh, like an NHL team in some of these cities. You're saying go to Wichita, Kansas. But you and, could still grow. I yeah. mean, there are 32 teams in the NFL and there are fans all across America and the world that support NFL teams. It's just because you don't have a presence in a particular area, whether it's you know Idaho or Iowa. I mean, there's, like you said, Kansas. I mean, there's opportunities to grow the game. When it comes to international, I think that one thing, when I came in the office, we had a lot of good intention, a lot of people working in international hockey trying to do different things. But I made a decision to have one person run it, Rob Zeb. He's the guy. He runs it. And working with Rob. Played in Europe. Played in Europe. And, Gets it. And, and working on, you know, global series stuff, working on World Cup of Hockey things, working on Olympics, really thinking about how do you how do we move the needle on that. And I think that if there's a strong plan moving forward, consistency and a good way to, you know, promote the game and, and then think about if there's consistency, you have a better chance to get advertisers, you have a better chance to get sponsors, you have a better chance to get fans. I think the biggest opportunity for growth in international hockey, global series is important. Don't get me wrong. It's, you know, we're going to be at four games. There's no tickets left for tonight's game. People are trying to get tickets to the game. But when you have like a potentially Olympic World Cup, Olympic World Cup, now you're changing the whole trajectory around hockey. So there's opportunity here to really grow a game on a global scale. And then when you follow it up with global series like this, countries identify with their player. And when the player goes back to NHL, they'll identify with that team. And it's just take Sweden, for example. You have, there's roughly 10 Swedish players playing in this weekend here in, in Sweden. We have about almost 90 Swedish players in the league. A third of our players in NHL are European players. So much opportunity to have them not just follow the player when they're playing for their country, but also follow that player when they're playing in NHL. Because if they get more access to that player, there'll be opportunities. Sounds easy, though, right? Like, why not just get it done? We're going to. I know. But Connor McDavid... These best, the best players in the world, they're going to be 26, 28 years old before they get a chance to put on a Team Canada jersey or a Team USA jersey. It's unfortunate. That's not your problem because you just got here. How hard is it really to get this done? Well, I mean, Olympics, in fairness, the last one because of COVID, that, that caused a lot of problems. We have to get an agreement done with the IOC. That has to be done. I mean, we're working, the NHL and the PA, NHLPA, working collectively together with the IIHF and the IOC to get an agreement done. I'm hopeful that we'll have something done pretty soon. You're pretty close? I think we're pretty close. So with that, is going to come a tough decision from a union leader perspective with what to do with Russia? Yeah, it's it's really going to be what the IC does first. I mean, that's really... Are you waiting for them to make a ruling? No, I mean, there's nothing we can do. I mean, there's nothing I can do proactively with that. IOC makes decisions on who plays. I know that in the 2024 games, IOC's banned Russia out of the 2024 games. And, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset. I hope that the world's in a different place in 2026. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. There's a good chance it won't be in a different place. But you're trying to play another tournament in 2025 first. The, the tournament 2025 will be, I mean, we'll put in the final touches on that. that that'll that be an all NHL players 
playing in the tournament because we don't have an agreement with the IIHF right now. So, I mean, we have to long term, we have to work with them and figure that schedule out because the timeline that we want to do the World Cup is roughly the same timeline as the Worlds. And they have obligations that they have to live up to as well. So you're saying Russian players would be able to play in that 2025? No, 2025, probably not. Let's take a step back just because as a union leader, your obligation is also to the Russian. Well, I represent everybody, everybody. So how do you, like those players specifically are not responsible for what's happened geopolitically. No, but there's, a, there's unfortunately there's a bigger, I mean, I'm learning this too. There's a bigger issue here. We have other federations that won't allow their players to play. Right, in, Finland won't, in, in, in a, Sweden in probably won't. So and- it's, we, we have to, you have to take all that into account. Well, I mean, it's one of those things like, you know, you think about, separating sport from what's happening in the world and it's just really complicated right you now. You want to support your guys. You, you do and I have to. I'm going to support my guys. It's it's a really complicated situation. It's complicated but yet very unfortunate. Yes. So let's take a step back to North America and you mentioned growing the game. Is the issue is the barrier to entry not cost? I'm a youth hockey coach. Yeah. I coach my son. I'm at the rink 6 days a week, whatever it is. I look at the cost to play and I say not everyone can do this. Yeah, what we have to do there is there's a lot of programs between the NHLPA and the NHL, goals and dreams, and be, be inclusive. We have to think about what's the long-term investment we're making. So, for example, right now, we're working, trying to partner with an organization out of Boston, a Pop Warner team, Pop Warner League out of Boston, the Dorchester Eagles, that are predominantly young people of color, and trying to create a pathway into hockey for them. And what's going to happen is it can't just be a one-off because as you said, if you are starting to skate at eight and you're a young kid, they don't have the means, young kid of color or just a young kid don't have the means, when you're nine, you've grown out of all your equipment. When you're 10, you've grown you've grown out of all your equipment. When you're 11, you've grown out. So we really have to think about laying down a foundation on how we, how we can help young people get into the game of hockey at a young age and then help them through the process, almost like a scholarship type of thing, because it, it is expensive and it's unfortunate. I mean, I know in... In Boston, I think now that we used to have many public rinks. We kind of three left. And the reason why they left is that the legislature in Massachusetts back in, I think it was 99, tried to privatize all the rinks in, in Boston. Myself and two other representatives in South Boston and Charlestown fought against having them privatized. So they stayed on the public side. So that, that allows a little bit of cost savings there. We do have to figure that the game of hockey has to figure out how do we get kids engaged? Because, you know, soccer is a ball in uniform. Baseball is a glove. You know, the bats are provided and the uniforms are provided. You pay a fee. Um, you know, football is a little different. Pop Warner football. But Pop Warner figures it out. Right. Uh, they, they buy the equipment. They take the equipment back. So they do figure it out. But you don't have to buy a field time. No. You, you got to buy ice time. You have to buy ice time. You know, it's, it's how do we do this? For the long-term growth of the game as far as getting players playing in the game. Isn't it as simple as that? It, that's what we have to do. Yeah. yeah, and that's what and that's what I don't know what's been done in the past, but I know moving forward I have a little different urgency of this and trying to do it. And you know, Chris Campoli is working on on my side and working with the league and the, the league's committed on this. We have to we have to be committed not just for a one off, but we have to be jointly committed for long term investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, three more for you. One, it's been a huge topic of conversation in the last six weeks. Pride tape. And, yeah. and what's happened there. Give us the inside story of how you and and Gary Bettman worked together to help turn this back. When I first got the job, obviously I, I come out of politics, so I'm thinking like, now nah, I'm going to get the job. And what's going to happen here that's going to be controversial? And the couple of days before I got approved by the players, 
there was an issue with a player not wearing the pride jerseys in in one of the warm-ups and then it just kind of snowballed you know i'm watching this kind of from the sidelines i'm not in it yet just thinking about why are we having this conversation in 2023 you know i was a big part of supporting marriage equality in massachusetts in 2004 a long time ago. Um, you know, this United States, the law of the land is marriage, gay marriage is legal. Ireland and other countries in the world. So I'm thinking, why are we having this? Why is this going on now? And whatever happened, happened. You know, a handful of players decided not to wear the jerseys for whatever reason. I mean, religious beliefs, political beliefs, what have you. It's unfortunate that story was only on the negativity, not the 700 players that were wearing a jersey and not looking for anything. So that kind of happened. The pride tape. I think it was a, a short-sighted decision to say we're going to ban all pride tape. And myself, I spoke to the commissioner a couple times, and the player inclusion committee got involved. They had a meeting. I was on it. Gary's on it. And we talked about it literally a couple, I think it was less than a week. After someone used it. No, I was in the works before that, which is great. The player did it. And, but at that point, um, maybe a little bit subconsciously doing had some do to it, but it was it was being reversed. And it wasn't just pride tape, it was all tape, but obviously the focus on pride tape. So that got reversed, and now players can can go back to using pride tape. And I think that, you know, and every team is still going to do pride nights, and they're going to be celebrations of the LGBTQ plus community and things like that. And I think it's, you know, as we move forward here, uh, maybe a little bit of education we have to have here too, you know, just to think, think about it. There was a lot of unintended consequences that came along with this that were, that were going in the wrong direction. So related to that, you are a childhood cancer survivor. Yeah. Obviously something that's near and dear to you. And a lot of players, cancer touches everyone. Yeah. There's a report last week that a, a goaltender couldn't put a ribbon on his mask uh, yeah. as a result of all this. I, like, to, I don't have the full story on that one. I, I think what happened was anytime there's a change in mask, they have to, you have to go through a process. To get it approved, and it was apparently not approved. I actually honestly don't have an answer to that one. Okay. And lastly, um, you mentioned, and look, we're 2026 is still a ways off. You guys have a lot of work to do, and the league does to get to that point where you yep. begin to engage in conversation about what the next CBA looks like. But I can't help but notice from sitting in my chair for a league that whenever it's CBA time seems to cry poor, there's been a lot of gloating about franchise values in the last little while here. An explosion of... You know, we're talking about more than half the league is worth more than a billion dollars a piece. How does that wealth, which has gone into owners' pockets, in not in small part to the way this CBA and system is structured, how do you find a way with new expansion fees coming in that players don't get a cut of, different things that are going into owners' pockets, how do you find a way to get a share of that into the players' pockets? Well, I'm going to answer some of it. I'll tell you that. I mean, as we move forward here, and I think – Franchise fees going up is fine with me, as long as players' salaries are going up as well. That's why we're gonna. I'm going to be making investments into business development, uh, growing HRR, and making sure that the players get their share. I mean, if you don't have the players, the players are what sells the game. The players are why fans buy tickets. The players are why fans buy jerseys. The players are why sponsorships sponsor teams because they want to see the product on the ice. And there's so many opportunities here. And you know, I'm not I, I'm not one to ever begrudge how much a businessman or person will make or a woman will make. Uh, I'm not that person. But what I am going to do is watch to see to make sure the players are getting their fair share. And you know, last year when the salary cap was going up, you know, I asked for more than a million dollars because you know just 
million dollars really was enough. Now I know we'll use a lot of a lot of concerns were about the debt from COVID and not being paid off yet and all this, but you know, I'm gonna keep an eye on that. This year, next season, the salary cap's going up five million dollars and potentially more. Escrow is at six percent right now and hopefully depending on what happens in this year. So I'm gonna be watching all these different pieces where players have to pay out of pocket to support the league. So we're not there yet. But we'll we'll be ready for it. You're from Boston. You you've worked your way up. You know, no one just hands you money. No, they don't. Marty Walsh, it was a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, bud. Thanks to Marty Walsh for his time during a busy trip in Sweden. I want to shout out the beautiful Grand Hotel in Stockholm for allowing us to use their space. And to watch the full interview, head on over to Daily Faceoff's YouTube page. Oh, I like their game. That brings us to our generous guy this week as Crown Royal reminds us that generosity lives in the small things. Crown Royal, crown everything. This week, my generous guy goes to Paul Maurice, head coach of the Florida Panthers. You know, his reaction to just about every sequence or bad call in the course of a game is borderline must-watch TV as are his press conferences both before and after games. After nearly 2,000 games behind an NHL bench as head coach, you can tell that the passion still burns pretty bright for Paul Maurice, who certainly likes to give it to officials and also give and take with reporters pre- and post-game. His lip-reading is the stuff of legend on TV, and you know almost exactly what he's thinking. He's not one of those guys who's just going to sit there stoically and watch the game pass him by. He's invested, and that generosity is certainly coming out in terms of how he views the game and players when he talks about it. I thought that game was a great hockey game, and then, what do we have, nine and a half minutes in penalties in the second period, and then 4,000 minutes in the third period, and nobody said a bad word to anybody on the ice. It wasn't that kind of game that anybody would have to worry that it would get a little bit ugly out there. That'll do it for today's edition of Frankly Speaking. We've got a ton in the pipeline, including, as previously mentioned, Nashville Predators GM Barry Trotz, as well as Ottawa Senators defenseman Jacob Chikrin. We'll leave you today with Nakama. Here's LaFafa on Frankly Speaking.
All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.